TFM. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Star Trek Enterprise podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as he always is, is my esteemed co-host, Matthew Rushing. And Matthew, I gotta say, that arachnid nebula, whoever thought we'd get to see that in person, and together, no less. I, I, I never thought this day would come, Chris, and I'm just surprised how, you know, I don't know, it just, it makes me want to feel like I want to listen to jazz. Uh, me too. And, you know, I stumbled across that book. It was labeled property of Admiral Matthew Rushing. And I just knew that we had to delve into this today. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you didn't put what I had actually put on there, which was Maddie Rushing. Uh, you know, <laughs> what can I say? I, I had I had some real high hopes back in the day. So. Exactly. Of course, it said Admiral Maddie Rushing, which is yes, how everyone yes, in the fleet which, would refer to you. Mm-hmm. I can see them yeah, all sitting exactly. around. Oh, a little. Yeah, Maddie and I, we go way back. Yeah. <laughs> all right well yeah this comes from the episode we're going to discuss today as we continue our star trek enterprise 20th anniversary rewatch and that's the episode fusion here's a quick rundown of the story when a vulcan ship shows up archer is ready for more of the charming conversation made famous by captain vanek what he gets is something altogether different the captain of this ship tavin says he and his crew are on a mission of exploration, but what they are exploring isn't space, but rather themselves, their emotions. Sound crazy? Well, not all Vulcans are in love with logic, and this group, known as the Vitash Katur, would not be welcome at the High Command. Once aboard the Enterprise, an engineer named Kav gets a chance to dispel the rumors he's heard about people of Earth, while his crewmate, Tolaris, takes far more sinister actions towards a fellow Vulcan, Paul. So, that's right. This is the episode, Matthew, where Captain Archer encounters Chris Pine's father in Vulcan form. <laughs> <laughs> so, what did you think about the Vulcan variety that we see here in this episode? You know, I, I do think that this is an interesting thing to explore. Uh, because obviously these are Vulcans who are basically, you know, taking the more Romulan approach in the sense mm, that they mm-hmm. are not going to do anything really to purge emotion. They're going to learn about their emotions and, and in many ways almost try to do what we as humans do, which is, you know, we don't just go around expressing our emotions all over the place all the time if we did you know there'd be a lot more drive-by shootings i think and, well some <laughs> um, people do you matthew know. i mean i logged into twitter yesterday and i have to say that some people do this is true this is true <laughs> uh, but i do think even that there is a difference of being like a right uh, a keyboard warrior and yeah. as somebody who actually is living out those type of emotions every single moment of every single day. Mm-hmm. And so this is a, a worthy thing to explore. And and already in this you know series, the Vulcans are different. And then to explore the fact that there were Vulcans who took another path mm-hmm. is interesting. And and at the same time, I mean, 
they're not completely disregarding Sirach. Mm-hmm. They have another interpretation for his right. writings. And yeah. so there is something really interesting about that idea of there being almost it's it's like denominational differences, you know. Yeah. Um and that's kind of where I think this episode at least at the beginning wants to kind of put these Vulcans as being those type of people. Um I think what makes it difficult to kind of discuss it all though is that it quickly gets bogged down because you have a terrible representation in the episode of what these people are trying to do mm-hmm. through one of them. Well, and it, and them. it yeah. kind of just goes to show that like one person in a group can completely ruin a group for people's perception of them because that's all they'll see. Right. And then they will fixate on that one exactly. example from the group that's not representative of the whole. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it is interesting in this episode that these are, they're not presented as there's a large portion of the Vulcan population that believes in this, but they are this sort of offshoot that's decided to explore their emotions and take this other interpretation of Sirach's teaching. I think it's effective, and I don't know how much forethought was given to this because the the Vulcan Reformation stuff that we get in season four, of course, comes more from Manny Cotto and the Garfield Reeve Stevens and and those writers. But I think this, within the whole context of the series, is an effective setup for planting the seeds for that story of the Vulcans later on. And it comes back to the thing that we've heard very often over the years from so many fans, and especially back when this show was in first run, the idea that the writers bastardized the Vulcans or they didn't understand who the Vulcans are because they presented them in this way. I was looking through a few comments about this episode preparing for our discussion. And of course, I saw some reviews from years ago where A common theme is people saying, I don't know if what we're seeing here with the Vulcans tracks with what we already know. And just that comment got me, when watching a prequel series like Enterprise and any kind of creative work, why does something that we're being presented with have to track with what we already know? If it tracks with what we already know, there is no creativity to it, and therefore the universe cannot expand, and we, we cannot delve more deeply into mm-hmm. topics or issues. I, I really have to say one of the things I love about what you were talking about is the way in which that this will track with what we get in season four and what we do see here, because this is a an issue of their reading of Surak, right? Mm-hmm. There is a need for a Vulcan reformation and we can kind of see it here that, that, a lot of the teachings of Sirach have been corrupted in one way or another and, and has led Vulcan down different paths. And there's a lack of, of purity in their understanding of what Sirach was trying to teach them. And so I, I think this episode, and I really like that you said that because I didn't think about it until then. This really does set that up that there, there's, uh, there are a lot of Vulcans who are more lost than we thought they were. Right. And they're on all different. I mean, there's, you know, there's ones that are exploring their emotions. There's ones that are, you know, being more militaristic, um, all of this kind of stuff. And 
So we really do see that this isn't just a problem for one side of the aisle. It's kind of an over, overarching problem for mm-hmm. all of Vulcan. And mm-hmm. I think that's really, really fascinating. Well, I think that fragmentation of Vulcan society, and you mentioned being more militaristic, which takes us to what we get in season four with some of those Vulcans as well. It's a proper mirror of human society, the world we live in. So I think one question, and maybe we're getting too far away from the subject matter of this episode, but while we're on the topic, one question I think of in setting up the need for Vulcan Reformation and Enterprise and then giving it to us at the end of the series is, are we saying that we need to correct the Vulcans back to the race that we know from later in the timeline so that they can once again be used to show how if humans could overcome the emotions and the conflict in our society, we could achieve something greater, which is sort Mm -hmm. of how I've viewed the concept of the Vulcans overall. Like they went through the violent stages of of civilization that we are going through now. And then they, they came Mm -hmm. out the other end, but, but here we're seeing them kind of in the midst of a bit of turmoil. Yeah. Well, and I, 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 you know, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but I I do think that this becomes something, especially taken as a whole and what we'll see with season four as well, is that the constant buttressing against cultural norms mm-hmm. that that were there and accepted for a reason and and the kind of deconstructing of those and like tearing them down is very dangerous and i think this episode in many ways kind of shows us the danger in that doing that incorrectly because i think this episode more than any other really helps us see that there was a reason, a very good reason, why Sirach's teachings became so important and so accepted once they were completely understood in a right way that Vulcans needed this, right? Otherwise, you kind of end up turning into the Romulans, which are uh, a a race that's, you know, so uh, devious in nature, so secretive in nature, and it's uh, dangerous even unto themselves because mm-hmm. of all of their secrets. And, of course, their overwrought emotions. So there's something really interesting in this, and I think it actually has a lot more to say now than it did then when it, I, I look at it in that light because I was really – struck by how you know these vulcans they're they're trying to basically say well that's not necessarily what it means when it says Mm -hmm. this right and a lot of bad things have been done when people say that yeah and uh about through different religions and and all sorts of things well when it says this it doesn't really mean what it says when it says this you know Mm -hmm. and so i i just it's it's this episode's really deep in that Yeah, this episode is really deep in a lot of areas, and I'm not sure that they explore those areas sufficiently within the story to satisfy a lot of viewers, because a lot of people feel like this episode uh, is a bit muddled, that there are unresolved uh, points that are brought up, and 
I think like creatively, it's a very interesting episode and the mm-hmm. visual presentation and the use of yes. jazz, for example, is very interesting. Mm-hmm. The cinematography is interesting, uh, but some of the points are deeper than what they have time to explore. Mm-hmm. Uh, like yep. the thing you're talking about here, to me, it's a, a somewhat difficult question because I think that cultural norms and traditions exist for a reason. And as society evolves, there are things that we need to let go of or transition into new ways of thinking. Absolutely, yep. Mm-hmm. But I think that it needs to happen in a natural way for the society. And I think mm-hmm. one thing that we see, I see it often today, but we've also seen it in the past. It's not unique to the year that we're living in right now, but there are situations where there's an effort to destroy cultural norms that if you allow them to change more slowly and naturally, then the society can mature and evolve as Mm -hmm. it should as a large and diverse society. But if you decide that you're just going to tear them down immediately and you're going to use them like forceful tactics to do so, Mm -hmm. then you really run into problems. And we do see things these days and I don't want to delve into specific issues right now, but it's generally a very small minority of people who believe in mm-hmm. something, which is what we see here with the Vitash Couture, uh, this group of them that come aboard the Enterprise, who just decide that through bullying or brute force, they're going to tear down some sort of established institution or way of thinking or custom that's a key part of a particular society. Mm-hmm. And and I'm being vague here, not because I'm trying to dodge talking about something specific, but because I think that this is part of the human condition and it's something mm-hmm. that we see around the world and it varies from culture to culture. Yeah. And it's something that happens throughout our history. So I'm speaking in broad terms intentionally. I just think that mm-hmm. here... What I see like in the actions of Tolaris in this episode, and we'll talk more about this soon, is that kind of over-the-top, forceful attempt to tear down or change something. Like He's really mm-hmm. yep. very aggressive in this belief that Vulcans should either abandon logic, which is sort mm-hmm. of the feeling I get from him, or as he claims, find a balance between logic and emotions. And yeah. like that attitude, I think, is is dangerous if you apply that to society. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And, you know, I think you said it well. And, and I think th- the importance here is to not just jump to any one hot topic issue, right? Mm-hmm. Because I, I think it is very clear that when done correctly, things change for a reason and on purpose, there are some things that were once culturally accepted that should no longer be accepted, right? And that is a part of the process of being human and us refining ourselves because we are all imperfect beings. And therefore, a lot of the things we do or think are going to be wrong, right? And they need to be corrected over time and with experience. And I think absolutely here, it, it was just an interesting point for me with that that thought process and I think 
it's not wrong for these people to want to explore this necessarily. I do think, and maybe it's a perfect time to talk about Tolaris and his actions because he, I do think he is the outlier in his, this group. Yeah, I think so. And I think he's the person who is using this specifically to be a predator. At least that's what the way it comes off here. Yeah, I Um, agree. He's using this to prey on people um, and get what he wants from them. And I think it's, I guess I'll just, I'll, I'll speak very honestly, you know, I'm a Christian and so many people, you know, will come to me and they'll say something like, well, how can you be a Christian when certain Christians do this? And so I'm defined by, for them, Mm -hmm. the people who have behaved badly. Right. And I do think that's the thing about this episode is that these Vulcans become defined by this one character who has behaved reprehensibly and should be imprisoned for his actions here because they are predatory in every way shape and form Mm -hmm. and yes we could call this rape and so that's the type of person that gives a movement a bad name right but that doesn't mean that it is he's representative then of the whole because everybody else we saw was not like this yeah right and so i think that's the thing that makes this really really difficult and i do actually kind of appreciate the episode for allowing us to have this discussion because we we can't just judge every single group with a broad brush you know it has to be it has to be individual by us getting to know them and that's what we see with like you know trip getting to know them and those kind of things like not all of them are like this yeah no absolutely that's a huge problem in the real world and uh, most groups yeah they do get defined by the actions of one person or a few people that's not representative of the group as a whole that especially happens with religions it also happens with nationalities you know groups of people i remember personally when i was younger i grew up like you grew up during the cold war in the us and the soviet union was the mm-hmm. big enemy and the fact that they were the big enemy is why i became interested in the soviet union and russia in the first place and ended up studying russian language and living there for a little while, but I just remember a case of I'm out in the countryside in Russia, and I'm sitting there with a man that was in his 60s at the time. He fought in World War II, and we're just sitting there and talking and drinking vodka together. And I'm like 20s, mm-hmm. early 20s, American. He's 60 something, Russian was Soviet, but there was no feeling of like he's part of this enemy or bad group. Right. But had I never left the U.S., had I never had interactions like that, I might hold that view because I would just, Mm -hmm. I would lump them all in together as being part of this kind of like faceless group that's defined by what I know about the actions of of a few people, which in this case would have been, you know, leaders of the Soviet Union, the people who... Uh, were in conflict with Americans. Uh, so that's just well, another the, example outside of the realm of of religions or mm-hmm. emotional views of things, but mm-hmm. it holds true for the real world. Well, I think the beauty of this episode 
is the juxtaposition with Cove and Trip's yeah. relationship and they're getting to know each other and and just something as innocuous as his misunderstanding of American yeah. football, right? <laughs> and I, I think that's a perfect yeah. example of how there is this mixed conception and but he even realized that that probably wasn't the case from the anthropologist, the Vulcan anthropologist. He probably yeah. he 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 himself was already able to rationalize like it they can't it can't really be like that. You know, so because he had applied just a little yeah. bit of logic and so I think there's there's something really nice about that because this is what it is supposed to look like, you know, with them sitting down to dinner and talking openly about their questions and not being offended in any way, but you know, trip uh, asking about their their mating rituals because obviously he has had that discussion with DePaul a little bit because of the letter he he mm-hmm. found and you know, so it's one the way this all worked was really nice for Trip especially because it all worked together with what we know from him and his relationship with DePaul, what he's been learning about Vulcans. But two, this was just a really nice juxtaposition between the other side of this episode where we truly see two races at our two types of people sitting down, having a conversation with one another and getting to know one another and finding out that their preconceived notions aren't necessarily what they mm-hmm. thought they were and of being open-minded to having them change. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think maybe I... St- stumbled into it there with my story about my experiences in Russia. Because when I watched this episode, the whole Kav trip storyline and the situation with Kav's father dying and Trip and Archer trying to encourage him to reach out to his father feels often to me like a weak storyline because... It doesn't necessarily lead anywhere. You're left with the feeling of, okay, why are they so concerned about if he reaches out to his father? I think that's how many viewers feel about it. But at the same time, I feel like it's nice that we have this soft storyline and soft interaction between Kav and Trip to contrast what's happening with Tolaris and Paul. And so I think it mm-hmm. works really well in that way. But what you said, I think, is actually more important in the social commentary of the episode of this is how people who don't know each other from different cultures should come together and interact. For me, it's very normal because I've lived almost my whole adult life outside of the United States, which is where I grew up. Mm -hmm. So I'm very accustomed to meeting people from different countries and different cultures and different religious beliefs and such all the time. And we just sit down and talk and get to know each other. And there's never any feeling of like, oh, wow, you're different than me. Uh, I have to act this way around you because you're not from the same world I'm from. That's not really a common feeling for those of us who are expats and mix with people from all around the world all the time. But like in this case, Cobb's never met a human before. So he just has all these preconceived notions. And like you were saying, maybe he already thought some of the things he's heard about these people aren't true. And I think part of that is because he is a Vulcan. And like you said, he can apply a little bit of logic, which is something many humans can't do. So when we meet someone from another culture or we think about someone from another culture, 
we don't apply logic and think, yeah, that thing I've heard, that sounds a little mm -hmm. bit odd. I don't know if that's true. Right. And I love the acting actually of Cobb in this episode because it's so harmless and yep. naive, but he's also very open to learning about humans. And just when he asks Tripp, mm -hmm. is it true that you eat six meals a day? And Tripp says, eh, more like three. And there's just this sort of little head nod from Kav that's sort of like, oh, okay, yeah, I kind of figured that wasn't right. You know, that kind of little thing right. was nice here. But anyway, I'm, I'm glad that you talked about well, the Kav storyline because it is one that I feel is both disjointed from the Tolera storyline, but at the same time necessary mm -hmm. to, to give us this balance of cultural differences. Yeah. I also have to say, too, I think one of the beauties of that is is this openness between the two to not immediately jump to right. a fence at any question, right? I think, I think that's the difficulty that this episode points out to me in the world in which we live is that everybody does just sort of immediately jump to a fence and we're so afraid of, of offending people that we don't want to ask questions. Yeah. And that's one of the problems. Whereas this episode shows two people who are legitimately open to having any question asked of them and to answer it as honestly as possible. There might be some, um, uh, embarrassment, right? You know, a uh, trip is sort of embarrassed to ask about uh, the idea of, you know, Vulcan procreation, but he asked the question and, and Kav immediately says, oh, I, of course, you know, I, let me tell you about Vulcan sex. You know, it's, it, I, I think this is, this is the, the beauty of this. And it's, and it's so instructive, I think for us today, don't immediately just jump at a fence that somebody asks you a question or maybe has a, a preconceived notion that is wrong, help them kindly to to be able to overcome that in, in a way that's gentle mm -hmm. and in a way that is I the only thing I can think of is just is just be kind. Yeah. People aren't necessarily out to offend you or to just be jerks, right. you know, and, and clearly that's the case here. And if that's the case too, well hey, that's them. It doesn't need to be you. Right. So I, I really appreciated that part of this this episode. And I thought it was so well done. And like you said, there is a point of it. It does feel slightly disjointed from the other. But I think this is this is the side of the episode that is truly instructive in the way in which we should interact with one yeah. another. Yeah, that's very true. And don't be offended and don't judge someone simply mm -hmm. because they right. don't possess the understanding of an issue on the same level right. as you and mm -hmm. they ask you a question or they say something that is not what you would say and they don't mean anything by it, but right. yet you go on the attack. That's a problem in the world today as well. And it, yeah, it's wonderful here that we don't yep. see that happening with Trip and Kav. So, okay, let's move on to another topic here. Uh, the heart of the episode to Paul's emotions, the mind meld. This is the first time on the timeline that we get a mention of the Vulcan mind meld. And we learned that it's something that was practiced a long time ago, but it's not common in Vulcan society these days. This rubbed a lot of fans the wrong way because 
oh my god, the Enterprise writers, they don't know anything about Star Trek. Vulcans have been doing mind melds for a long time. What do you mean they don't do them in their society today? Well, societies evolve and things come and go and practices that were sometimes normal may become taboo. They may become normal again. That's what we see here with the mind meld. I I think that maybe with this story, they needed to establish that in order to have it be something that T'Pol is not familiar with, to give Tolaris some mechanism with which to invade T'Pol's mind and personal space. Mm -hmm. And also, again, to set up the fact that Vulcan society is going through a bit of a transition at this point. I think that allowing... I mean, one of the things we have seen, I think, and it's very clear, is that Paul is, and we've already seen this, slightly more emotional than other Vulcans that we mm-hmm. have seen before. And she is really the first Vulcan who has spent this amount of time with humans. And so for that not to have any kind of impact on her would be silly. And so that being the case, I think this did make for a very interesting exploration of who she is and who she's becoming and it and it makes sense as to why she would want to explore this and of course why later on she would want to explore this even more you know and and we'll get there with the trillium d Mm -hmm. addiction but i think she is an explorer at heart she has she is becoming more and more of an explorer and so i think it is only right that we should actually do this with her. And I think what's interesting in this whole process is that I think, you know, she sees emotions as being a weakness, obviously. And I think she sees the opportunity to maybe understand how they could not be. And yet she ends up with, a horrible tutor mm-hmm. in this. And it's it's something that obviously will have repercussions throughout the rest of her life. And I I think it's yeah, I don't know. I, I found the episode in, in the, that sense very difficult to watch because of what we see her go through. Yeah. And somebody taking advantage of her. Well I think one key here is that not only did she uh, happen upon a bad tutor, Tolaris isn't even trying to be a tutor. He's not trying to be a teacher. He's actually preying on people nope. because he seems to feed off of the emotions of others, perhaps because he wants to explore his emotions, but he hasn't had those kinds of experiences. I'm totally guessing. I don't know where this group has been, but just... Knowing Vulcans as we do, it's quite possible. And also, Kav says that the Enterprise crew, these are the first humans they've met. Now, I don't know if that means Tolaris has never met a human before. But if it does, then it means that maybe he's bored with his own emotions, exploring those. He wants to have new experiences. He has to do that through others 
So he has to get into their heads. And he has become a predator who is, in reality, he was grooming to Paul for the mind meld because the night before he told her, don't meditate. You may have these dreams that may be very interesting. And she had the dreams. So now that's in her head. So then he can go in and do the mind meld on the next night. So he definitely is preying mm-hmm. on people. And I'm sure that T'Pol is not the first person he's done this to. Well, and I, I appreciate this episode in the sense that I think it does a great job of shining a light on how people do prey mm-hmm. on others and do it well. And they they kind of find out the things that you're interested in and that you like or whatever, and then they find a way to use that against you. And I think this is one of the places where this is just as topical as it ever was, is, you know, we have this happening all over the place, you know, whether you want to get as deep and as, as disturbing as, you know, the sex trade that happens where people are pulled into this type of thing, people being found guilty of this type of thing uh, and higher echelons, mm-hmm. you know, it, it is a, it is a disturbing and terrible thing and uh, you know, it definitely should be stopped. And so I, I have to say that I'm glad that this episode exists for that reason so that we can shine a light on something that, needs to end yeah, so yeah. i think that it was powerful in that sense i think that the the presentation of that uh, abuse and intrusion was handled well in this episode like it gets its message across effectively without being overly graphic as television might be today mm-hmm. which right. i personally think is better right. because it makes you think more about what you're watching well and i think this was really great too because it also showed to paul being able to have people to Mm -hmm. go to to help Mm -hmm. protect her in a in a very good way right whether that was archer or anybody else in the crew the doctor i really liked that and and i i thought what it also showed here is that when it comes to this type of thing we do need good men to stand up beside women when this type of thing happens yes. right you know I, I think an archer really shows uh that character that we already knew him to have and and so i i and it's i don't know it it is a really difficult subject to talk about it's actually kind of emotional to mm-hmm. talk about because it's so yeah. disturbing that that somebody would take advantage of another person like this but at the same time to see on the other side someone willing to protect those that have been taken advantage of with all of their might is really good. So yeah, on that, I think for the most part, this episode, whereas it probably could have had some refinements Mm -hmm. done to it, I think where we end up is pretty good for 42 minutes of television. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. And this episode is sometimes I've seen fans ask, you know, what is the point of this episode? Like it doesn't, what is the point that the writers are trying to get at here, which I think is a a bit odd. Uh, I understand the feeling because, as I said earlier on, the episode feels at times nebulous or unfocused and the two storylines don't necessarily mesh in the way that we're accustomed to. But 
I think there are two strong points, and I think one of them is what you just said, that there's a need to shine a light on this type of abuse, to make people aware of it, and as you said, to point out that there must be people who a victim can turn to, and if something like this happens to women, there should also be good men to stand up for them as well, uh, to be on their site as Archer does here is one point. And the other point is the one that we talked about, about cultural understanding and bridging the gap and actually being able to talk to one another. So two strong points there. And another Mm -hmm. thing that it's introduced here, although it really plays out in the follow-up to this episode, stigma. This was a time where Star Trek talked about the AIDS situation which is something that we don't think about as much these days, I think, because we've been living with it for so long. But in the early 2000s, it was still much more of a topic. And there was a lot more stigma in the society surrounding those with AIDS Mm -hmm. and Panar syndrome, which we will learn to pull contracts as a result of the mind meld here, was the stand in for HIV and then for AIDS because whereas HIV was long seen as being spread through what some consider unnatural sexual activity. The mind meld here is considered unnatural among Vulcans, and therefore there's Mm -hmm. this transmission of Panar syndrome. But we'll talk about that more when we get to stigma. As far as T'Pol's emotions, though, you mentioned that she's a bit more emotional than the average Vulcan, which I think is True, although she's tried to keep that repressed. But what I found interesting in this story is that we find out that when she was at the Vulcan compound in San Francisco, she did have that one night where she wandered out and she went Mm -hmm. to the Fusion Jazz Club. And Tolaris asks her, why did she do it? And she said she was curious. And Vulcans, I think, are maybe scientifically curious at times, but the type of curiosity she had is something that I think is less commonly seen in Vulcans. Yeah, no, I, and I I think, you know, so far what we're seeing is that Enterprise is willing to dive into its characters, at at least the, the, the main characters in, in a way that is, I think, interesting and allows them to tell different types of stories than just what we've seen through all the years. And, you know, when you count all the things we actually knew about Vulcans at this point, it's not right. a lot, yeah. you know, so we're actually exploring a race that we've really never explored in much the same way where, you know, we talk about how Deep Space Nine really added to the Bajorans, made mm-hmm. them fleshed out, the Cardassians, even the Klingons, what was started in TNG really got fleshed out even more in Deep Space Nine series. So I think Enterprise is just picking up that mantle in many ways that that we got with Deep Space Nine and kind of running mm-hmm. with it. And especially, of course, with uh, the Vulcans. But, of course, they also do that with the Andorians and other mm-hmm. races like that. So uh, I think that's that's really strong and really smart. So Yeah. And I also think that what they did with T'Pol in this series paved the way for them to do what they did with younger Spock in Discovery and the Spock that we will see on Strange New Worlds because it was easier, I think, for fans to accept this type of emotion and internal struggle with Vulcans because of T'Pol's character, having 
been a main character for mm-hmm. four seasons on a show and evolved this way compared with what they might have been able to do if yes. we had only had all the other Vulcans that we had in the past. Yeah. Yeah. So you can have shouty Spock back. <laughs> we, I, I so hope he shouts in Strange <laughs> New Worlds. <laughs> yes, Captain! <laughs> Check the circuit! <laughs> yes. All right. Well, any final thoughts on this episode and what's your rating for this one? Um, You know, I think this is a really strong episode of the series. Um, I would give this four out of five fusion jazz bands. It is a difficult episode to watch. You know, I mean, it, uh, rating it this highly, it's not one that I would go back and, and rewatch over and over just because it's such an uncomfortable mm-hmm. episode. But I appreciate that it is uncomfortable in the ways that it needs to be uh, to make us think. So, yeah, I, I think this is a very, very strong episode of season one. Yeah, I agree with those points. And for me, it's sort of a mixed bag. Like I think it's a great episode of Star Trek for the subject matter that it tackles. I think they did a pretty good job of it, but I also think that the things that they're addressing are bigger than a 42-minute episode. And mm-hmm. and because we have that contrast between the two very different interactions, there really is not enough time to delve into, especially the T'Pol storyline. So I'm going to give it six cups of chamomile tea and I'm also going to note that this was the least watched episode of season one of Enterprise. It had the the fewest number of viewers. And I always find those numbers interesting because I don't know if it has anything to do with the actual story, because it means that fewer people tuned mm-hmm. in, not that people watched it and didn't like it. So I would have to go back and find out what was happening the week of February 27th. 2002 to find out what was happening uh, and why the rating was so low. Uh, I certainly don't personally think it's the worst episode of the season or anything like that, but I think it's an episode that makes you work more as a viewer than some of the other episodes. Mm -hmm. And you have to really think about it and, Mm -hmm. and consider what they're talking about and then kind of decide for yourself if it's an episode that works or not. You know, it's not the Andorian incident. It's not one of those like really fun episodes. The flesh is right. out. But yeah, there we go. Six cups of chamomile tea because human beverages are good. <laughs> All right. Well, we would love to know what you think about fusion and the things we talked about today. There are many ways for you to share your thoughts with us. Perhaps the best way to join in the conversation with us and fellow listeners is in the Babel Conference. That is our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field. It should come right on up. If it doesn't, type the whole name. It is a closed group, so if you'd like to join, please answer the questions and agree to the terms of the forum so that I can let you in. If you'd like to send us email, you can do that by going to our website, trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5, and that'll come to Matthew and me by email. And of course, you can find us in social media, Twitter, Instagram, everywhere. Our username is trekfm. Now, Matthew, when you're not learning to smile and eat chicken, where can people find you? 
Well, uh, gosh, goodness, I, why'd you have to talk about chicken? I'm hungry. Uh, but um, when you're I'm not looking for a KFC, apparently, you can find me uh, all over the place uh, under the name MattRushing02, Twitter, Letterbox, Instagram, Vero, all of those places. I am also uh, on the network here on our whole other side of the network called the 602 Club, where we talk about all of those fandoms we love outside of Star Trek. And of course, you've got the bonus shows in that same feed as well. As we talk about things like Snyder Cuts with uh, the works of Zack Snyder or going through all the Marvel phases with John Mills over on Assembling Avengers. And then you could find me also doing Lurid Treks and The Orb. Chris, you and I talk about Deep Space Nine as well. And we're so excited that we've got episodes coming out. They're new. We're fresh. We're back. So please check out The Orb and uh, Literary Treks is the books and the comics of Star Trek. And... Then over on the Nerd Party Network, you'll find me doing a couple of shows. One is finished. We talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time on Owlpost, Drea Kaufman and I. So that was a lot of fun and a perfect show just to listen to anytime. And then aggressive negotiations, talking with my good friend John Mills about Star Wars every week. Now, Chris, when you are not trying to figure out where you're going to get your next space pizza, <laughs> where can people find you? I love space pizza. Uh, they don't have it at KFC or VFC, Vulcan Fried Chicken. But I think if I yeah, <laughs> look around, I will find some there. Uh, Chef makes a mean pizza. But yeah, you can find me, as you mentioned, here on the network doing the orb with you. We do have new episodes that we're dropping every other week now. And also Larry Nemechek and I do The Ready Room from time to time. I've got a show called Interface, which I'm ready to get going again pop into literary treks here and there. And of course, I'm on many shows in the back catalog and I'm working on some other stuff behind the scenes, which I'm hoping to roll out very soon. I work on it as I'm able to in the midst of my real world job. And speaking of my real world job, I finally, we just, I built and launched a website for my magazine, which is out there live now, which I'm very excited about. So that's been taking up all my time. So if you want to read my writing, not related to Star Trek, you can find information about that there in my social media channels. And if you would like to chat with me about a Star Trek or anything, you can find me on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones, letter C and Brian with a Y. That is my name everywhere in social media. And of course, I'm there in the Babel Conference as well. Now, if you would like to help us keep all of this going, we could definitely use your help through Patreon. If you'd like to get involved with the network, become an associate producer, find out how you can help. And of course, support us financially because it does take a lot of money to operate this network. You can find out how by going to patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash trekfm. And I want to extend a huge thank you to everyone who's supporting us now. You're keeping us afloat. And I have to say, we really could not do this without you. So thank you very, very much. Well, Matthew... I think we need to check the batteries in our flashlights because we're going to be spending a lot of time in the dark next week as we explore a rogue planet. Well, Chris, that does sound spooky and exciting, so let's go. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>